Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. Good morning. What a beautiful sunny day in Colorado. Um, I want to thank Ronnie Castiglione for filling in for me last week while I was on assignment in Hawaii. Uh, You know, I make these trips for my listeners. I take no personal pleasure out of it. And, you know, I was kind of surprised that Ronnie took a couple shots at me, and so did some of the guys on Facebook. Sometimes I don't think you appreciate how I sacrifice. All kidding aside, I had a great time. Karen and I enjoyed the beach over there, did some fishing in the surf, but I'm sure Ronnie did an excellent job filling in, and we've got a great show for you today. Um, in just a couple minutes, we're going to be joined by Bob Broshide, the uh, director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And in the second hour, we're going to talk a lot of ice fishing. You know, we'll have Nate Zielinski and Ronnie back on, talk some ice fishing. And uh, we'll also be joined in that hour by Steve Panaz, Hall of Fame angler, the host of Lake Commandos Television, and a national champion ice fisherman. So we'll get some of his, his insights into some of the changes in ice fishing. we got a lot going on. Of course, you'd know all this was going on, and you would have had a chance to take shots at me if you followed Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We try to preview what's coming up on the show on Facebook. We carry over some of the better podcasts that we think are pertinent on our Facebook page. We, we post whenever I write an article. We post whenever uh, we put a new video up on YouTube or if I get out to a personal report. We don't overwhelm you, but we keep you in touch with what's going on the show. So follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And right now, I want to go to the phones because we're going to spend a lot of time with this gentleman, and we've got a lot of, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, the director, Bob Broshide. Good morning, Bob. Aloha, Terry. Yeah, I know. You got your shots in yesterday when we were talking. <laughs> hey, well, it's a tough duty. Somebody's got to do it. Huh? I know. Sometimes I think I'm not appreciated, you know. But, <laughs> I, and I, you know, I was doing research. Uh, I took my ice auger with me. I just couldn't find any ice. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, all true. kidding. All kidding aside, uh, Karen and I had a great time. And as always, it's nice that we have such great people that fill in on this show. And to tell you the truth, it sometimes I uh, I think the fans appreciate it too that we get a little different perspective and different people in here. I just don't want them to like it too much because then my job might be in jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's you know, right. You got to be careful who comes behind you. Right? That, that's right. <laughs> right. But you know, in all honesty, you know, I you know my passion for the outdoors, and I love it. And you know, in your position too, you you're not just the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And I know we got a lot of ground to cover, but you're an avid outdoorsman. I mean, I know you love to fish and hunt. Did you get some good hunts in this year? You know, I did. Uh, had a really early uh, pronghorn season up in Wyoming with a couple friends. Uh, a good friend of mine is the director in Wyoming, and uh, we went out and uh, harvested a couple of pronghorn does and uh, uh, had that, well, that was real early in September. And then a couple of weeks ago, I had a real successful mule deer hunt in uh, southern Colorado with a friend of mine. And uh, yeah, chased some birds around. Uh, uh, let's see, about three weeks ago, we uh, have a uh, kind of a hunt after our commission meeting 
that we hold every year out in the plains and a uh, little cold. Uh, we got a couple birds in there. It was a little rough go, but uh, yeah, we, we I try to get out as much as possible. It uh, recharges the batteries. It lets you interact with a lot of hunters. Of course, I don't tell them who I work for, and it's so you get the honest feedback of of how their hunt's going, what's what's going on with our licensing system, you know, the whole gamut. So it's sort of undercover boss kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I like to partake. There's no no doubt about it. Well, you know, it's, it's, there's a couple advantages to that. One, you said getting this honest feedback hunter to hunter, not as the director, but as just another guy in the field. And then the fact that you enjoy it so much, you come across the same issues we do. And so you deal with them on the ground in the field the same way we do and that and and you know you understand what the problems and what the advantages are and what our resources are and i think i think to have a director that involved in the outdoors is a plus i really do you know i've told you that before i'm not blowing smoke at you and if you say something today i don't like i'll tell you that too so we'll make sure we cover all the ground um but no it's it's it is and resources are important you know you mentioned bird hunting we have some tremendous bird hunting opportunities in Colorado. Now, I've seen that. I've seen things like the pheasants and the turkeys and some of the other types of game just have burgeoning numbers over the last couple decades that weren't here necessarily in the past. And a lot of it's due to programs in partnership with Colorado Parks and Wildlife and maybe Pheasants Forever and the Turkey Federation. But you work with these groups, and those are also important to where we're going. I know we're going to talk about funding and future generations and resources today, but we've seen a lot of changes. You know, management is providing uh, actually great opportunities that we didn't even have in this state before. Now, that being said, there's issues in other areas that, that need addressing. We know whirling disease, uh, is we're getting a handle on some of that. Uh, wasting, chronic wasting disease is still looming out there. How much, how much are we going to have to do for that? And So there's always issues, and uh, we've had some changes in our elk population. But, you know, those are ongoing management things. But to handle all that takes money, people, and resources, and I want you to take us back a couple of years because it wasn't long ago you guys were cutting a lot of staff and things were looking a little grim for the funding. Tell us where we were and where we've come. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. You know, when I, I got here in late 2013, so I just actually this week just celebrated five years here and boy, does time fly. Um, but uh, coming in, you know, prior, prior to me being here, the previous director and, and the agency and the commission, you know, went in and they had to cut about $10 million. And, and basically what that was, was the, the, the plan for revenue didn't match the actuals. And uh, for all these, you with businesses, you know, I mean, this is, this is where you want to go. And sometimes the, the cookie doesn't crumble that way and you need to make cuts. And we went in and, and trimmed up $10 million out of the budget. And, and it was kind of on a downhill trajectory. Uh, recruitment and retention of hunters and anglers is, you know, if it's steady, if, if it's not steady, it's declining. Uh, we're seeing like some of the major issues that you brought up with disease management, habitat, and, and a rising costs, for example. It's just the, the value of the dollar started eroding. And, you know, all of those things started to lead us on a path of, boy, we better do something. And, and there was a fork in the road, Terry, and it, it was essentially, we're going to have to continue to cut um, 
not as dramatic. A $10 million cut was pretty dramatic for the agency, as the, as the sportsmen and women know in this state. Um, but we had to look at, are we going to continue down this deceleration de- uh, of, of programs and staff and funding and grants and on, or do we want to take this, take this by the horns and, and start to talk to our customers about the future? This is their future. Um, my, my philosophy has always been is that Parks and Wildlife only exists because of our customers willing to pay for licenses, parks, park passes, and permits, and campsites. If they are unwilling to spend that, basically their discretionary money on our, what we can produce as products and services out there, we're done. And it required us to really take a hard look internally about what are those programs we're doing, how can we change, how can we be a lot more efficient, but at the same time, knowing that that's only going to get you so far, uh, you know, as an agency in keeping up with the demands of a of a increasing um, uh, hunters and anglers that were out there and. You know, the park side of the agency was sort of facing the same thing. It, it, large capital investments that are occurring on our parks, um, state parks and national parks are going through the same thing. You've seen this last election. You've seen cities like Denver uh, enact uh, uh, bond uh, increases and, and sales tax increases to pay for their stuff. So, you know, we were right in the mix with a lot of others, but... It, that's kind of where we were. It was it was not looking very good, and it took us, you know, at that time we started to build the, the sort of a campaign. We had to really talk to our our customers out there to find to let them know is where we are and then what we can do about it. Well, and uh, I'm before and I know we're going to spend a lot of time. You're going to be with us most of this first hour, folks. So stay tuned for we're going to cover a lot of ground. But in addition to what you talked about reduction in staff and if and you know, a typical business if they don't spend money building their business their business declines if you didn't have money to add resources and uh access to lands for people to hunt fish and camp you know you would see a decline it would be self-fulfilling that revenue would continue to drop along with that you were faced with a lot of capital work that had just been pushed aside for decades because there hadn't been funds to do it. Right. Well, absolutely, Terry. Those are those are the big ticket items. I mean, you, for example, you can take hatcheries. Uh, you know, with the number of hatcheries we have on in the state that produce the fish that get stocked in the lakes and the streams that our anglers can go out and enjoy, a lot of our hatcheries are really old. Uh, in fact, most of them are older than I am. And that's, you know, that was this just, like sort of kicking the can down the road. These are high dollar investments to go in uh, somewhere in the five to seven million dollars to go in and redo concrete and raceways and stuff. And and I know you've been to our hatcheries and you know how how complicated and, and complex those systems are to produce fish. But you know that's one of those things that you you weigh as a as a director. You sit here and go, well, we're not going to shut a hatchery down. That would, like your, to your point, would, would affect fishing in the state, therefore would affect revenue. And so we, we really took a business approach to, to not, not shutting down programs or services that really affect our customers, but it, which in turn then affects the revenue. And so 
uh, we'll talk about it in a bit. Well, you know, that those are sort of the priorities. You know, dams fall into that same category. If we don't have water, we don't have boats, we don't have fish. And, and those are the things that we had to take a real hard look at over a course of about a year internally and then externally to start talking about these are the things that we need to invest in and make them better for those future generations that they can still enjoy the same or greater amount of opportunity that uh, that our customers enjoy today. I tell you what, I think we're going to take an early break here, Bob. When we come back, we've kind of talked about where the situation was. We'll let you take us on what happened over the last couple of years, the legislature, in the legislature, and then what we're going to see. People are afraid of changes because obviously nobody wants to pay more, and that's going to happen. It was inevitable. And people are, and those changes are going into effect the first of the year. So maybe we can detail what's happened and what those changes they're going to see next year. Is that okay? Sounds great. I'm going to put you on hold. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We're talking with uh, Bob Broshide, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Bob, we kind of covered what the status of the financial state uh, of, was of Parks and Wildlife. And we knew that the money was running out. Things had to be done. Expenses were building. We've kind of covered that. Now take us through what we finally pushed a little something through the legislature. Talk about a couple years really quickly what it took and then let's before we even get to where the money that's going to be raised is going let's talk about the changes people will see going into next year sure yeah uh, good morning again terry and and uh you know for about two years we worked on this bill and and i know for the folks that that listen to your show we we talked about well you've been an adamant art adamant supporter of of where we are in this process and, and got engaged. But for those that are sort of new, we did we did get a bill through signed into law last year that allowed us, us to raise uh, uh, fees, permits, passes, those in a very, I think, in a, in a very conservative manner. Um, but it, it granted us the authority to do that. Um, and it's sort of an across-the-board uh, raise and, and this is, of course, once you get the authority on the bill, then, then the agencies sat and met with, uh, you know, a lot of our, our hunters and anglers, park visitors, recreationists all over to start talking about, okay, what would be reasonable? And so the balance was between what's a reasonable increase versus what's a reasonable revenue generator that allows us to tackle a lot of these, uh, a lot of these priorities. And, and certainly our, our public, has priorities with things that they wanted to see either maintained or or a greater emphasis on. We had the legislature uh, that had their own priorities about what they wanted to focus on and, and hope that they all came together um, to get this bill through. And so you can, and all of this can be found on our website. Um, in fact, I'm looking at it right now. It's on the front page. If, if your listeners want to dive into this a little bit more, it talks about uh, the FAQs and all those things, but it's also mainly it talks about what changes are going to occur come January 1 of 2019. Um, so just real generally, Terry, across the board for most resident licenses, we're seeing an $8 increase. 
Um, and that was determined to, again, it's that balance between that reasonable increase, uh, what customers are willing to pay, but also uh, what the legislature is willing to accept, but also what sort of revenues and priorities that we could we could meet in there. And part of that, getting that bill through, was we made some commitments. And the commitments were uh, 10 goals that we, we, we committed to fulfilling by 2025. So not too far down the road. So we've got some some issues here, and, and I can run through those if, uh, if you have time or you want me to take the time, Terry. Or We'll go through those in just a minute. So let's cover the increases so there's no surprises. You said most licenses are going to go up by $8. Let's get so an annual fishing license. Is it both resident and non-resident going up $8? Um, just This is just for the resident side. Um, the residents haven't seen that increase in a long time, and, and the difference there were non-resident licenses and fees were going were keeping up with the consumer price index, so they were going up a couple dollars, you know, every year, and we didn't see the gap between uh, what the licenses you know cost now versus what the residents are. So, you you brought up the annual fishing license for residents is going from twenty five to thirty three dollars. The, we have now a youth annual fishing license, which is age 16 and 17. That is $8. We also brought in the, the senior annual fishing license, which was free uh, for a long time, is now going to be $8. The low-income senior lifetime fishing is $8. Um, the one-day fishing license is going from $8 to $12. And then if you wanted the additional fish uh, day fishing license, that's staying at five bucks. And then the extra rod stamp is going from five to nine. So that's sort of it from the fishing side on the, on the resident, uh, the resident side of the fishing licenses. Now on the hunting licenses, are we going to see similar increases? Yes, we are. Um, and I'm going to correct myself here because I'm, I'm keeping up with the chart, Terry. We did raise the non-resident annuals. Um, from 55 to 95. So the residents are going to take, uh, I, what I misspoke on was the hunting application or the hunting licenses, the big game licenses. Those have kept up with CPI, but the annual fishing is going from 55 to 95, five days, $20 to $30. Uh, the one day is going from eight to 15. But on the, on the hunting side, um, we're going up eight bucks on those big game licenses for residents as well. So deer is going to be from 30 to 38. Elk is 45 to 53 and then on down. Now, these increases are all going to be implemented starting January 1st of 2019. Now, if if you want further increases, is there a cost of living built in or does the legislature have to approve future increases? That was one of the big things that, that we had negotiated out was let's, you know, and, and the justification was let's not be here, you know, 10 years from now where CPI or inflation has eroded the, those dollars again. And now we're going to have to go back for another increase is that we had consumer price index now built in for the resident and the non-resident side. So the money should try to keep pace, and we shouldn't see any major increases. We should just see it keep pace. And I think there's another part to this that doesn't get publicized a lot, and that's the fact that 
These increases won't make up for the shortfalls we've seen over the last decade. They're just going to get us closer to being able to keep programs going. Is that right? That's pretty much it. And, you know, we had started the prior year in 17, we had talked about a, you know, a major increase. And that was to really, if you kind of picture in your mind a gap here, Terry, there's where we are and where we should be if just consumer price index and and the increase in licenses and, and fees kept up with inflation, there was a gap there. We only met a small portion of that gap by this increase. And so you're right. What this is, is this isn't hundreds of millions of dollars rolling into the agency. I think our last projection was we'd look at somewhere right around 20 to $25 million would come in if we went just everything up to the maximum allowable under the law which we didn't, but what this is, this is just going to keep, I think, a lot of our programs maintained, and then it's going to allow us to focus on those 10 goals that were identified in the legislation. So before we go to those goals, and I think we'll take a break, but before we do that, there's another part to all this that I don't know if the public totally understands. This money isn't just coming in, and you guys get to just throw it wherever you want. There's a budget prof, prop, uh, process, and doesn't the legislature, or at least the Wildlife Commission, or both, still have to get involved in that budget process? They do, uh, and, and that's their authority. Uh, th- that's the purpose of the legislature. Every state agency you know, puts together their, their recommended budget. It goes through the governor's office. Um, they look at for, in meeting their priorities, and it goes to the legislature, and the legislature is the appropriating authority in the state. They, they are give us the authority and then have to sign off on that entire state budget of all agencies across the board. And so it's, it's a, you know, how we work this internally is, is that we take, you know, input from the public, we take input from the agency, uh, and we sit down and we grind out a budget that we hope, you know, addresses a lot of those concerns. Um, then we present that to the commission as well. The commission gets a big bite at that apple a couple times. You know, then it goes off to the, to the governor's office. The governor's office takes a look. We compile that into all of the state agency budgets, and then we go to the legislature, and then we hold hearings. Um, this is where, it, for those who, who may have heard, this is the Joint Budget Committee is the governing body of the legislature. It's, it's bipartisan. It makes up both sides of the Senate and the House, and they, they get a big bite at the apple as well. And in this case, Gary, what when we pass that legislation, I, I have a feeling that they're going to be keeping a keen eye out for those 10 goals and, and really honing in on are we directing our resources to achieving those those 10 goals that were in the in the legislation and now into law. Okay, now we know the process. So I'm going to take a break. When we come back. I want you to give us the 10 goals and where you think the money is going. And then at the end of the hour, um, maybe we'll let you kind of talk about how people can get involved in influencing the budget, both at the parks and wildlife level and at the legislative level. You okay with that? Sounds great. All right. I'll put you on hold. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are talking with Bob Broshide, the Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. 
Bob, we took people through the process and got them to where they are and what kind of changes they can expect to see. And, of course, as I mentioned before, nobody likes to pay more, but we, I think there's a general feeling in the outdoor public that we all knew it was necessary. Now to kind of tell us, you know, first of all, we got to understand that the money isn't going to just be there January 1st. They're going to just start collecting it next year. So you won't see the full impact of this probably till 2020. But take us through where the intention of Colorado Parks and Wildlife is to put that money in the budget and spend it. And then, of course, it would have to be approved by the legislature. Yeah, you're right. It, you know, the January 1, they go into effect. But, you know, as the application process and the, uh, when licenses start to get you know, purchased is usually later on. We won't really realize that revenue till the following year. But nevertheless, you still got to plan based on, uh, you know, sort of what your best projections are. You can look at, you know, what we're looking at right now is is how many hunters and anglers do we have? How many uh, park passes are we selling? And on and on. And then just hope nothing catastrophic happens. And then you kind of plan that way. It's you know, plans are plans and plans do change. And so we, we've got to remain, you know, agile in that. But, you know, our 10 goals is not only for maintaining the programs we have, but there's special emphasis that we're going to be placing on on these 10 goals. And and the first one is, is increasing and growing the number of hunters and anglers in Colorado. Um, you know, we've seen national declines in hunting and fishing numbers for a variety of reasons. They're becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of the population, but yet pay about 95% of the conservation programs that are out there. And so our obviously growing new customers is, is, is certainly, you know, high priority, um, and, you know, based on those numbers. And so, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, making the, you know, our application our online sales easier, but we're going to be investing in things like hunter education. Um, fishing is fun is another, you know, there's sort of, uh, you know, okay, you've got your license or you want to get your license. Now, how could we make that process uh, much more efficient in getting people into the system and then maintaining them over time? And um, so, you know, things like shooting range programs, uh, grants, to other entities for shooting ranges it's just really to kind of perpetuate the growth of hunters and anglers and and one of those of course being top of the list is is access um how do we expand you know access to public and private lands and and many many of you hunters and anglers know you can hunt there or fish there one year and the next year it's closed for a variety of reasons and so we're we're pulling together a working group here after this, the first of the year, of course, we've got a new administration. We still have people out hunting and angling, uh, and thank you for that. Uh, but we wanted to engage those folks in this this program that we're going to come up with. Or what are some of those existing programs? What are some new programs uh, that are out there that can really address the whole suite of barriers to allowing people who, okay, go through hunter education and they they've taken all the training and they have their license or their tag in their hand. Now they need to know where to go. And sometimes that can be one of the biggest barriers to this recruitment of, of hunters and anglers. So, and certainly on, on top of that one, the third one is, is increasing our big game populations. Um, this is the 
the most important revenue generator in the state between elk and deer, residents and non-residents alike. Um, so seeing areas, like you mentioned earlier on in the show, Terry, things like CWD, um, uh, habitat loss, those kind of things in the face of this growing state population and in areas where we're not seeing that growth, we're still seeing declines. Uh, for example, the, the elk populations, uh, if you cut Colorado one half, the southern part seems to be having some, some big problems. And we're looking at that, but our goal is to increase big game populations, not just maintain them. Um, and then the fourth one, of course, is, is improving all wildlife populations out there. Uh, but we have a specific focus on those big game populations because of the, the revenue generation there. Um, we're also looking at increasing our fish stocking efforts. And I mentioned earlier, hatcheries is part of that, uh, that goal. Um, finding new areas that we can stock fish, um, in, maybe we're, we could change over from uh, species to another. Uh, we're seeing some of the you know best warm water fishing you know on, is on the front range. Maybe we can enhance that. Where are we going to buy those fish or rear those fish and stop them? You know the other since we we do parks and wildlife. The sixth one is uh, dealing with the numbers of people that are visiting our state parks. We are at or near capacity. In fact, uh, I mean if anybody's tried to to visit Cherry Creek State Park on a weekend, you will see the demand for that park. And what we have looked at in the legislature wanted us to look at was, well, are you gonna maintain your 41 state parks or are you going to look at creating a new one? And and sort of being a relief valve and some maybe, or putting a park in some areas that don't necessarily have one that we're looking at as one of our goals is where is that next state park going to be? And how do we start to plan for that? Um, this one gets, you know, this is tricky. Is, well, why would you build a new state park if you can't maintain the ones that you have? And believe me, I've heard that question a thousand times. Well, it's, it's really investing in that future is providing, uh, uh, you know, sort of that additional opportunity out there for, for people to go and recreate in the state park. And now, but what kind of facilities do we develop? We're taking a real hard look. At, we're just not going to get a new state park and then invest, you know, $20 million in it. We're going to be, we're going to approach it from a business side. The seventh goal is here is, is maintaining our dams. Um, we have a lot of dams that uh, around the state that we had purchased or built probably back in the 40s, 50s, and, and maybe early 60s. And those dams, of course, provide recreation. They store water rights um, for either agriculture or municipal use and on a variety of reasons. And a lot of those dams are very old, uh, dilapidated. And in some cases, they cause, can cause a public health or safety issue if those dams are breached. Um, when I got here, we had, you know, my engineers had come in and said, you know, we probably we've got a problem. And we've got this dam and we've got this dam and and it seemed like we were taking these one at a time terry and what i did was we're going to take a, a broad comprehensive look at all of our dams and what we did is we came out with a list of about 13 that were top high priority either for recreational use and or downstream public health and safety issues 
we have people who live downstream of dams, and it's our responsibility to ensure that those dams meet current regulations uh, and permits and other things. It's, it, this is mainly on the wildlife side of the agency. The park side, most of our uh, the dams are operated by the federal government, either the Bureau of Reclamation or the Corps of Engineers, and they maintain that responsibility. We just manage the recreation. So we're taking a hard look, and we're investing. Uh, in fact, the last couple years, we've been investing significant resources and dollars into main, uh, improving those dams and making them safe. The other, the eighth goal is 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 how do we engage all outdoor recreationists in funding and conservation? And I mentioned a little bit earlier about growing hunters and anglers is they are paying for sure the lion's share of wildlife conservation in the state for fish and wildlife. And what we have a lot of folks who, who use those resources or like to view them or, or are recreating on those lands. But right now there's really no mechanism for them individually if that's all they do to really pay into this system of, of maintaining wildlife habitat and, and trails and roads and those other things and so the legislature wanted us to take an evaluation of what how can we engage them and, and engage their wallets in the conservation of fish and wildlife out there uh, we just completed a, a, a preliminary study that looked across the country um, that uh, talked about what are the funding sources and, and how are other states engaging. And it's everything from, you know, a sales tax on down to taxes, uh, sin taxes that uh, occur on, on uh, sugary beverages, you know, and those kind of things. And then what we did was we put it over the lens of what the current Colorado Constitution and statutory uh, allowability is uh, in us doing that. And for many of you know, sales tax is a, is a it's it's tricky when you talk about the taxpayer uh, taxpayer bill of rights, and so we're we're looking at those. We've got a preliminary look, and then we'll be engaging the legislature here real soon. The other is, you know, to make all these programs happen, we have a goal in here about talking about recruiting and retaining qualified employees. Uh, how do we make keep up with salaries? How do we keep up with uh, creating those positions that a new generation is hitting the workforce or has hit the workforce. And for anybody out there that's got their own business, I think they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's getting harder and harder to keep people within the agency uh, for longer than 10 years. And as a, this is sort of the inside look of, of my staff that we're looking at how can we not just salary increases um, that how do we create that workplace that keeps people engaged um, in, in parks and wildlife and as passionate as, as that we are now. And then the last one, Terry, is maintaining and improving all of our parks and wildlife areas. This hits at the infrastructure that is that that we've invested in in the, in the past and we've kind of let lapse and from fencing to roads and trails and parking lots and habitat condition in our wildlife areas, those types of things. So that's kind of the, the 10 goals within there. And then, of course, 
underneath each each of those ten goals, we've got a lot of ideas that, that we're kicking around right now to to help us achieve those. Bob, we're almost out of time, but I'm going to take a quick time out. We'll only have a couple minutes when we come back. But what I would like you to address when we come back is how can the people stay involved in the process that moves forward by both monitoring what's going on and maybe giving input, all right? Sounds great. All right. We're going to put Bob on hold. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going right back to the phones. We are speaking with Bob Broshide, the director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Uh, Bob, before I, we address the final question I asked you, we did get a quick phone call from Chaz. He wants to know if off-road vehicle licenses will be going up as well. Hmm, that's a good question. Jeez, you, got, you caught me. Um, I think... My list here doesn't show it, but that doesn't mean that it isn't. So um, I don't believe it is. Um, I think, you know, OHV snowmobiles um, and other vehicle, uh, those type of vehicle registrations were not. They, I don't believe they were included in this bill, Chaz. But thanks for that question. You caught me. Uh, let me see, Terry, if I can get that answer back to you, and maybe you post it on Facebook. Oh, we'd be glad to do that. You bet. Bob, we've got about four minutes left, um, and I know we're going to rush. We've got kind of go through. People, both as um, individuals and affinity groups, are going to want to know. They're going to want to monitor the progress and know how they can give some input. What's the best way to do that? Well, I think it starts really, Terry, with information. Get informed. You know, whether, whether you're an individual out there or you're a group, uh, a conservation organization or a friends group, et cetera, is get informed, get the facts. Um, a lot of times that, that I attend these meetings, I, I, there's a lot of, of misinformation out there. Uh, get it from several sources like this show. You, you provide the facts. I, you know, I love coming on this show because you can hear it right from my mouth um, that, Get informed, inform and educate yourself on these issues. And then the second piece is, is engage. And there's a lot of ways to engage in this, in, in this outdoor recreation, hunting and angling, uh, be, by participating in some of these conservation organizations. You know, do your research. What are those groups doing and how do they do it and how do they engage and how effective, you know, all those questions, you know, do your homework. Uh, and then engage and volunteer and be part of something. This is, I always look at, I love the history of between, uh, uh, um, from hunting and angling is back in the day, it was the people who started the hunting and angling conservation movement in this country. It wasn't Parks and Wildlife. It certainly wasn't me. You all have that power and you need to engage that. And we're seeing a drop off in that engagement. We do all kinds of, of activities in parks and wildlife carry somewhere around 2,000 publicly engaging conferences, meetings, and other symposiums, things like that, that we do in this state alone. Show up, be part of that, of that uh, inform and educate sort of uh, 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 process. And, and then how you engage and who to engage with, engage with us. We love to hear from our, our publics here. Uh, we don't hear from uh, very many at all. In fact, it's mostly it's the same people over and over again. 
We have commission meetings around the state that you can show up. We have a special agenda item that you can bring up anything you want. We have um, uh, meetings uh, about 11, 10 to 11 around the state um, that that we engage the public. We go to you. We, we, we try to all the corners of the state and engage. There's the legislature. You have elected officials that want to hear from you. They ask me how they can engage more in the hunters and anglers and outdoor recreationists, and, and they're just not hearing from them. And if you don't show up, that old saying is is that if you're not at the table, then you're probably for dinner. And that's that is so true. And and there's just a, a wide array of, of activities out there from volunteering, talking to our folks. Our folks are all over the state for this reason. But I think, you know, shows like yours, Terry, are really helping getting the word out. And, and I can't thank you enough because this is this is something greater than than me or greater than us individually. This is why we call it the future generations. Is, yeah. is how, how do we raise those folks to, to be that informed and, and, and engaged? Bob, we are way out of time. In fact, we're stealing a little time from Nate Zielinski, which I don't care. He talks forever anyway. <laughs> but I do have Sorry, one I have one complaint before you go, and then I want to thank you for being on. And uh, We post the fishing report on my Facebook page, and it gets copied all over the state. Can we start getting that a little earlier in the week instead of Friday afternoon somehow? You know, Terry, I've already looked into that, and our folks um, are working on it. I, I told them that we need to get this in the people's hands before they go fishing, not after or during. So we are absolutely working on that uh, real quick. It's just we have to get the information from our fisheries biologists in earlier. So relatively easy fix here, buddy, but we're doing it. All right. Bob, thank you for joining us. As always, you know you have a microphone here, but, you know, the biggest way we're going to all come together and have a great outdoors in Colorado is if we're all informed and we all work together. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, and happy holidays, Terry. You had happy holidays to you. Thank you. Bob Broshide, Director of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We'll take a really quick time out, and we'll be back with Nate Zielinski to talk ice fishing right here on 104.3 The Fan.